Wow, what a piece of work, huh? I wonder what made Russell Duritz who he is today. Well, what we want to do today is take a look, it helps to help, to help answer that question, is to take a look at the vineyards of our past that have made us who we are today. And by the way, if it applies to you, it's going to be very helpful. If it doesn't, then it'll give you a vocabulary to help other people in their journey along the way. So this morning, I want to talk about the sour grapes of an absent father. Sour grapes of an absent father. Uh, Several years ago, NBC News uh, produced a special on Jeffrey Dahmer. He, He was from Milwaukee, and he was this incredible serial killer. In a time span of less than a year, he murdered 17 people, dismembering them and even cannibalizing some of those people. Uh, he was arrested and then sentenced to 950 years in prison where he was brutally murdered. Uh, after his death, scientists wanted to study Jeffrey Dahmer's brain. His mom considered to donate his brain to science, but his dad refused. His dad was a college professor, and uh, he decided to write a book about his relationship with Jeffrey. In fact, um, in his book entitled A Father's Story, we end up discovering that uh, this well-educated family, uh, just assumed everything was okay with their son growing up, only to discover later on in life that he was this incredible serial killer. Uh, In fact, Lionel, the father, he reveals uh, how he lived his life with his son. And we we discover through his words that he paints a, a bleak picture of parental neglect. He talks about how he wasn't that available to his son and what his son Lionel suffered in terms of Lionel's relationship with his wife and how his dad, Lionel, was really too busy to show much affection or much attention to his son. In fact, it was a a pretty bleak picture of a relationship between a father and a son. And, And then Lionel writes this. So I wasn't there to see him when he began to sink into himself. I wasn't there to sense that he might be drifting toward that unimaginable realm of fantasy and isolation that would take him 30, take, would take 30 years for me to recognize. Now, there are three haunting statements, uh, in Lionel's words. The first is I wasn't there. The second, he began to sink into himself. And the third, I might, that he might be drifting. Three haunting words. You know, when it comes to fathers and the incredible bond they have with their children, a child is looking for some kind of connection. When it comes to a dad and his son especially, Uh, There is a kind of nourishment a child wants to receive from his father. You could say it's a kind of father food. And and if if he doesn't get it from his dad, 
It's not given to him by his dad. If his dad doesn't portray a portrait of life, its boundaries, its disciplines, its directions, then that son sinks into himself. He becomes weightless, a kind of drifter of the soul. There's no substance to his life that gives his life stability as he moves through life. In fact, David Blankenship's in his book, Fatherless America, says this about dad. He says, as a father, the good family man is not perfect, but he's just good enough to be irreplaceable. He stays around. He's the father on the premises. His children need him, and he strives to give them what they need every day. He knows that nothing can substitute for him. Either he is a father or his children are fatherless. He would never consider himself not that important to his children. That's a powerful statement. He would never consider himself not that important to his children. And yet, as you look at it, society today, there's this incredible drift toward ruin. As more and more men begin disconnecting from the home. And even in homes where dad is present, I mean, he he is there, there, there's a sense of disconnect. You see, it's more than attention to grades or to sporting events or, or providing kids material things. It's more than that. Uh, there's a dad. It's a dad who is giving a son or a daughter a sense of weight in life. A good father weighs his son or daughter down so they aren't blown by every whim of culture that comes their way. And dads, you are the ones that model that for your sons and daughters. I mean, sometimes dad thinks, well, my son or daughter, my child just doesn't notice. Well, they may not notice in terms of responding openly in those early years. But they do pay attention. And a dad who has a son, and that dad is is allowing that son to grow up in a family where he lives, that dad lives a life of honor. He has conviction about life. He communicates how life ought to be lived and takes it beyond because I said so to This is how life is lived as a man or a woman before God. He takes it to a more transcendent cause. Now, that's a dad. That's a dad who is weighing his son or daughter down. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 17.6, says, The glory of children is their father. The glory of children. That word children can, is commonly translated sons in the Old Testament. Occasionally it's a translated children. So the glory of sons or children is their father. You know, every dad has a unique advantage that comes to him when a child is born in his family, especially if it's a son. A son grows up with this incredible urge to want to give his dad natural admiration. Uh, He almost worships his dad. 
He just naturally wants to be like his dad. And that's why at age six, you overhear him on the playground saying, my dad can beat up your dad. And age 12, he's saying, my dad can earn more money than your dad. In fact, I, I remember as our kids were growing up, it'd be 100 degrees outside. I'd be out mowing the lawn. I mean, sweating profusely. And, and then there would be Josh, my son, or Daniel, my son, following along behind me, pushing their little plastic lawnmower, imitating me. I didn't ask them to do that. They wanted to do that. You see, a son has so much admiration for his child, for his father, that he wants to be like his dad. But sadly, in too many homes, kids hear the phrase, not now, later. And dad leaves before they get up. He comes back after... They are in bed. Uh, The days get longer. The work gets harder. The focus becomes more and more on me. And that's when a son or a daughter begins cashing in those chips of admiration. And then the day finally comes when they've cashed in all their chips. And they don't want to be like dad anymore. There's a tremendous disconnect that takes place. And that disconnect leaves a wound. But if a dad, if a dad takes advantage of that natural inclination uh, toward him and he, he blesses his son of, uh, or daughter, then they become children of substance. Now, that dad, he begins weighing that son or daughter down that ends up steadying that child when they become adults and move through life. You know, that that is an interesting passage. The glory of sons or children is their father. Do you know that word glory? It's really the Hebrew word for weight or heaviness. You could translate it this way. The weight of children is their father. You see, every dad begins, or every son begins life naturally admiring his dad. But if that dad is too busy, if he's callous, if he's, if he's absent, if he doesn't accept his role of initiating, let's say, a son into his masculine journey, that son becomes weightless. He's not grounded. He's disconnected. He ends up drifting, blown by every wind of culture. And it leaves behind a wound, and many times that son is unaware he's even been wounded. I want to give you a definition of the father wound. You could define it this way. It's an ongoing psychological, social, or spiritual deficit that would ordinarily be met in a healthy relationship with dad, but it wasn't, so now it must be overcome by other means. In other words, it's something you didn't get in life that that would weigh your life down and give it stability. Uh, Now you're weightless. Now you've got to discover some other way 
to find that kind of steadiness in life. Now, in the movie The Kid, uh, Russell Duritz is just turned 40 years old. He's in the midst of a midlife crisis. He, he hates his job. He has no friends, he, no life. He, he's really a, a jerk. But uh, in the movie, there's an interesting turn of events. Little Russell, his eight-year-old self comes back to lead Big Russell on a journey. It's a journey to find his heart. Now, when little Russell appears, he's anxious to find out how his life is turning out. So he begins asking Big Russell questions. He says, "Uh, do I fly jets? I've always wanted to fly jets. And Big Russell says, no. You don't fly jets. I don't fly jets. Well, well, at least I have a a dog. I have a dog. I always wanted to have a dog named Chester. Don't I have a dog? No, son, you you don't have a dog, says Big Russell. Well, who do I marry then? You don't get married. Well, at least I have a truck. I mean, I've always wanted to have a pickup truck. No, son, you, you don't have a truck. I mean, I don't fly jets, I don't have a dog, I don't have a pickup truck, and I never get married. I I turn out to be a loser. Well, Big Russell tries to explain to Little Russell this um, image consultant thing he does. And Little Russell says, so what you're telling me is that I help people lie about who they really are. You see, Big Russell doesn't know who he really is. He helps other people put on a facade, and he's a professional at it. Now, Big Russell is successful. He owns a place in Bel Air. He he drives a fancy car. He, He makes a ton of money, but he's not a happy man. So he gets little Russell to take him on a journey to find out what happened. In other words, where did I lose my heart? You know, I wonder what words you would use to describe your dad. Now, uh, Chad asked us to come up with some words last week to describe our dad, uh, the, the ways that uh, his influence uh, produced ripe grapes in our vineyard. The first word that popped into my mind, it was the word hard worker. My dad came back from World War II wanting to make it in this world. And so uh, he owned a gas station. I mean, he worked hard. He was up before dawn. He came in after dark. He, He worked six days a week. And he carved out a pretty good living for our family. I had lots of nice things. In fact, I learned my work ethic from my dad. So hard worker was the first thing I wrote down. But... It wasn't all passive. Another word to describe, I mean, it wasn't all positive. Another word to describe my dad was the word passive. At a time when a son is asking the question, do I have what it takes? My dad was silent. He was uninvolved in my life. In fact, I can remember going to camp at age 11 to Alpine Camp in Mentone, Alabama. I was there four weeks Uh, My parents and my sister came to pick me up. I remember seeing them across the way 
and I spied them first, so I ran lickety-split to them, and I just about tackled my mom, grabbing her around the waist. I couldn't wait to see them. But my mom, she was uncomfortable with that kind of display of emotion. She said, oh, oh, no, 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 let let me get a picture of the three of you. And she kind of pushed me back and she stepped away. You see, she was more comfortable being 20 feet away behind a camera. I look around and I'm not sure what to do. I, I see my dad standing there and I see his hand dangling to the side. I want to grab it, but I'm scared. If I do... I mean, he may pull away. And then in a moment of courage, I latched on to it. And I wasn't going to let go for nothing. Now, my dad, he didn't bend over and say, Oh, son, it's good to see you. Man, I missed you. It's great to have you home. I love you. No, my, my dad just, he didn't know what to do with that kind of affection. So he began to laugh. It looks like that old laugh of, oh, isn't he cute kind of laugh? But it was really a laugh of ineptness. He didn't know what to do. And so I'm sitting, I'm standing there thinking, I'm not letting go for nothing. I'm hanging on to this for dear life. And then there in the family album is this picture. One of the painful moments of my life, forever in the family album. You know, my my dad didn't know what to do. So this really isn't a picture of a family. This is a picture of a dad. A portrait of a man who didn't know how to give his son what he needed to know in life. So I was left to figure out life on my own. I can remember in the seventh grade, Coach Towers pulling me aside and saying, Here, son, put this on, and he handed me a jock strap. I'd never seen one of those. I didn't know, what do, you, what do you do with this thing? I had to go through the humiliation of having a coach explain it to me because I had a dad who wouldn't engage with a son blooming into manhood with what he needed to know. And it was embarrassing. I remember wanting to, to date girls, but I didn't know how to ask a girl out. I couldn't ask my dad, no. But... Instead, I decided to ask my next-door neighbor, John Ringenberg. He said, oh, Doug, it's easy. All you got to do is you call him up. You say, hey, I hear you've been talking about me. How'd you like to experience the real thing? <laughs> it was stupid. I didn't know any better. Another humiliation. So my, my life... It was a constant battle between adequacy and inadequacy for a boy trying to figure it out on his own. And at every point making stupid mistakes. So there was anger beginning to build inside. And I didn't know who to blame. 
Because nobody was there. And I didn't know I was supposed to be given that by my dad. In fact, I remember, as an adult now, a friend helping me kind of sort through the convoluted emotions that I was having. I remember one day he asked me, he said, Doug, what's the difference between you and an orphan? It's a great question. As I pondered it, I thought, you know, my, my life was like that of an orphan in that neither one of us had a dad that engaged with us. But as I thought about it further, I thought, no, it was worse than an orphan. Because, you see, my dad's presence in the home was a constant reminder of what I wasn't getting from him emotionally. And it left a wound. It, it left a vacuum in my life. In fact, the third word I would use to describe my dad is that he was absent. He was busy at work when your own, your own business, I mean, it consumes you. So at age 12, I mean, I did whatever I could to try to connect with my dad. I was desperate. I asked him, if, can I work in your gas station? That's what I want to do, thinking I could connect on his turf. But when I worked there, we never did. I tried to excel in sports, hoping that would get his attention. So I won the scoring title in basketball for our city. I was the fastest member of our track team. I won the high jump championship for the state of Mississippi, all trying to get my dad's attention. But he never noticed. Now, my mom told me he admired me. My mom told me he was proud of me, but, I mean, he, he never did. And so, growing up... My dad was really gone. I mean, not physically, but emotionally, he was gone. He, he was absent. And, and that left me with unanswered questions. I mean, what is a man? What does a man do? Do I have what it takes? And I'm telling you, an unanswered question produces a driven man. And that's what I became. When I got married... It created a lot of pain and hurt for Patty. I remember she kept saying, I want to get behind that wall you have around you. But the message of my dad's passivity is, you're not worth investing time to get to know. So how in the world was I going to let Patty get to know me? And the roots of it all go back to this. The family of origin. And those roots lay back there in my past. But I also want you to know that my dad was a good man. He was a moral man. He was a hardworking and kind man, but he was also a passive and uninvolved man. I didn't have the answers that I was seeking. Do I have what it takes, Dad? How do I know I'm a man? How do I know when I get there? And I hid all of that questioning behind overachieving. Now, my relationship with my dad was not all bad, not by any means. I mean, there were afternoons we would throw the baseball together. 
Uh, we, we would go to the ice cream parlor from time to time, and we'd split a malt together. But as I look back on that time, it, it's probably less than a dozen times over my entire lifetime. But, but every one of those times was a, a reconnect, where I was getting in that brief moment what a son wants in connection with his dad. And I'm telling you, those few times we spent together, they can become mythical in a son's memory. Now, now some of you have had just the opposite experience. I mean, I'm up here telling you about my pain and it's your pleasure. I mean, you have a great relationship with your dad. And I want you to know that's great. I'm excited for, for you for that. But there are others of you who grew up with alcoholic dads who were irresponsible or abusive dads, and remembering back for you is quite painful. So, so to help us, I, I want to mention three things uh, about the sour gra- that the sour grapes of an absent father can result in. Three things. In fact, you, you, you can see them in the book of Ephesians where Paul begins addressing dads specifically. Here's what he says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It's interesting. It's just one sentence, but it's pregnant with meaning. Notice it says, training and admonition. He's talking about explaining life to them. He's saying you need to help them understand who they are and where they're going. A good dad explains the disciplines of life by modeling it for his children. But but did you see there's an interesting corollary there in the verse? I mean, look at it again. We only have two choices. We can give our sons and daughters substance. Or we can make them mad. We can give them something higher in life, bigger than themselves. We can give them a direction or we start a breeding ground of anger. It's the only two choices we have. And in that short little verse, you see the sour grapes of an absent father. Anger and pain. And I think that's what we're seeing in America today. A lot of angry, frustrated young men taking out revenge for reasons they, they don't even know about. And it's only going to grow, I think, in epidemic proportions as dads continue to abandon the home. And I look back on my life, I too was frustrated. I mean, in the seventh grade, I mean, from where I sat, I thought I was the only one who didn't know what to do with a jockstrap. You know what it does? It's embarrassing. It makes you feel ashamed. You feel mad. You feel frustrated. And you really want to take it out on somebody. I think James Tony understands that kind of anger. In a Sports Illustrated article where he was talked about how he became the middleweight champion of the world. He talked about being a vicious competitor. He had lightning quick hands. A devastating left hook. When they ask him, where does your competitiveness come from? Come from? Here's what he said. I fight with anger. My, my dad did my mom wrong. He left us. Everything I do is about that. I look 
at my opponent and I see my dad. So I have to take him out. I'll do anything I have to to get him out of the out of the ring. Wow, that's an incredible statement. And there are a lot of corporate executives today who feel just that way about their dad, but they're not as articulate as, say, James Tony. You see, without an engaged dad, a whole host of demons fill the father wound, and a son is forced to live life with suppressed anger or rage. And that rage ends up coming out in all sorts of unhealthy ways. But there's a second expression of the father wound, and that's extreme behaviors, obsessions, or addictions. You see, the anger a person feels, a young man or a daughter feels, expresses the pain. But there are other ways of dealing with that pain. One of those is with addictions. Now, an addiction is trying to suppress the pain. You're not sure how to deal with it, so you involve yourself with excessive drugs and maybe alcohol, attempting to numb the pain that you feel. You might get involved in extreme behaviors. I mean, whether it's recreational behavior or or maybe it has to do with business practices. And it leads a young man down the path of becoming achievement-driven. And a lot of guys go down, uh, go down in destructive behaviors, but just as many end up going up in achievement behavior. One's trying to relieve the pain by approval. The other is trying to numb it by suppressing it. But it all comes from the same source. It all comes from hurt under the surface. In fact, some of the greatest athletes, actors, high achievers in America, they are not driven by virtue. They're driven by pain. In fact, I want you to see what Arnold Schwarzenegger said. He said, all my... You can throw that up, Arnold. Well, I'll read you what he said. He said, all my bodybuilding was to compensate for a sense of inadequacy and weakness in my life at an early age. Wow. So you've got extreme behaviors, obsessions, and addictions, but there's a third expression of this wound, and that is a sense of lostness. You remember how Lionel Dahmer described his son Jeffrey? He said he sunk into himself. He began to drift, and a lot of men, young men, disconnected from dad, there's this sense of lostness, this indecisiveness, this lack of direction that causes them just to catch whatever wind of culture happens to be blowing at the moment. In fact, several years ago, Parade Magazine interviewed Burt Reynolds. I want you to see what he said about his dad. He said, my dad was the chief of police, and when he came into the room, all the air and light went out of it. There was an expression in the South, no man is a man until your father tells you he is. But we never hugged. We never kissed. We never said, I love you. And then in the article it said he paused. Kind of looked far away. Then he came back and he said, so I was lost inside. I was incomplete. I didn't know what I needed to know. 
There's a lot of young boys and girls today growing up in America without anyone defining life for them. I mean, what are its boundaries? What does it mean to be a man? How do I know when I get there? And without answers, they're lost. You see, the life that flows through the vine flows from one generation to another, and it can produce either fine wine or it produces sour grapes. And dad is one of the most important influences in that whole process. You pull him out of the, out of the equation, then a whole plethora of demons can move in that can take a lifetime to overcome. Now, the same is actually true for Russell Duritz. Little Russell throughout the movie keeps asking the question, where did it go wrong? Was it the day I barfed on the bus? He's trying to find one single event and then one day they stumble on something. Watch the video screen. You see, that was the day little Russell stopped crying. That was the day big Russell stopped being human. Maybe in talking about this father wound, you have felt something inside that you've thought, I think I've been wounded by a dad in some way. Or maybe in, in just talking about this, you've looked back and seen how maybe you have wounded a son or daughter through unintentional words, maybe harsh words, uh, inappropriate words spoken in a, in a time in the past. I want you to know this wound can be healed. All a boy or a girl wants from her dad or his dad is approval. A smile of delight, I mean, words of affirmation. I mean, you see, Russell used to help his dad work on the car, but Russell wasn't, little Russell wasn't any good at it. He kept losing stuff like screws. I mean, that's why he says, I found the screw, Dad, I found the screw. Look, I found the screw. In other words, Dad, I'm not a screw-up. Delight in me, Dad. Tell me I'm okay. So what does every son or daughter need from a dad? Let me conclude by giving you four things quickly. The first thing a son or daughter needs is time. It's time with dad that results in experiences that create great memories together. You see, whether it is fishing or going camping or building something together, I mean, those experiences are like little weights a dad deposits in a son or a daughter's life. So that when dad is gone... The memories are still there. You're still impacting in the future where you are not permitted to go. You know, those good memories, they can carry a child into and through the future. The second thing a dad, a son needs or a daughter needs is direction from dad. I mean, a good dad is not someone who says, because I told you so. A dad processes life and explains it to his children, his son or daughter, with good why answers. I mean, do you know why God says save sex for marriage? 
I'd be telling your son or daughter, don't do it, is not going to carry any water. You need to know why. Do you know why you can trust the Bible and what it says? You see, every time a dad processes life with his son or daughter, he's giving that son or daughter substance. He's giving them weight that stabilizes them and steadies them throughout their life. The third thing a child wants from his dad is is convictions. It's convictions about about life, and that has to be primarily modeled through a dad's life. I mean, one of my great concerns, especially with sons, is they're not hearing any convictions from their dad. So what do you believe? Did you know, Dad, it's not what you say. It's what you live out in your home. You can say whatever you want. What your kids imitate is what you live out. So the question becomes, what's important? What's valuable? If they hear it and they don't see it lived out, then that son or daughter becomes weightless. They're a drifter of the soul. They kind of collapse into themselves. There's no anchoring. And there's no stability in their lives. And then the final thing is every son or daughter wants to see his dad's heart. You know, even Jesus needed words of affirmation from his heavenly dad. I mean, do you remember what his dad said at his baptism? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, at the most critical moment, just before his son was going into the biggest test of his life, the temptation in the wilderness, Dad speaks into his life. And he tells him, you have what it takes. Son, you're the real deal. And if Jesus needed to hear that kind of affirmation from his dad, how much more do we need to hear that kind of affirmation from our dads? Now, every son and daughter needs to hear three things from his dad. He needs to hear, I love you, I'm proud of you, I believe in you. A friend of mine was speaking to a group of dads in Alaska about a son's need for affirmation. Afterwards, a man came up and handed him this letter. I, I want to read it to you. It says, my father was killed in Vietnam when I was just three years old. I knew in my heart that he loved me. But I always longed to hear it from him. When my mom moved from Alaska, I came over to help her pack. My mom took an old army photograph of my dad from the dresser and, and said, Here, son, I know your father would want you to have it. Well, I took the picture, but it slipped out of my hands, and it hit the floor, shattering the glass. So as I reached down to salvage what was left, I discovered... Behind the photograph placed there 37 years before was a letter from my dad to me, his three-year-old son. It was the last letter I had, my dad had written before he died. As I read it, he said he loved me and he longed to come home to be with me. I finally heard the words I needed to know from a father who was long since dead. So why does a 40-year-old man need to hear his dad say, I love you? 
because the glory of sons is their father. See, God's designed life in such a way that affirmation, instruction, joy, and wisdom flow from one generation to the next. And if you've been left with sour grapes of a father wound, I want you to know that there is a heavenly father whose love and forgiveness can change everything. So instead of blaming, you can begin finding healing by another father's love. In fact, this last song we're going to going to have is really a song that talks about the fact that we've all been wounded in some way, in some fashion. So we all need healing. We all are looking for help. In fact, I love the question Bono asks in the middle of the song. He says, have you come here for forgiveness? Have you come here to raise the dead? Have you come here to play Jesus to the lepers in your head? You know, talking about our relationship with our dads can really touch some deep places in our life. And if this morning uh, what I've said has touched the sour grapes of the possibility of a father wound, I want you to know there is a heavenly father that wants to connect with you and help you get on a path of healing. In fact, to help you with that, next week I'm going to talk about Five proactive steps you can take in order to heal that wound. So I want to encourage you to come back next week and see what the Scriptures have to say about that. In the meantime, if this is your first time here at Horizon, I mean, we're thrilled you're here. I'd love to put a name with a face. I want to encourage you to stop by the hearth room, third door on the left as you leave. And if you came prepared to give, well, they're offering boxes out the door and to the left. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for coming.